0: What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here with our Week 6 College Football Instant Reactions. As I posted on our community page, we had a 12-hour travel back from a game we were at this weekend, so we pushed this back till this afternoon. But starting next week, you can catch it again at 1 o'clock Central Time on um, our YouTube channel on Sunday, man. So let's get right into it. We had an outstanding week of college football, man, and we have to start – with the upset down in Kyle Field and College Station. And I think it's safe to say nobody outside those fans at College Station really thought that this was even a, a possibility. You look at, you know, Zach Calzada having to take over for Haynes King. And, you know, what that really could have meant for Texas A&M, they lose to Arkansas, they lose to Mississippi State, and they come in and they find a way to shock the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide in front of a record crowd, over 106,000 at Kyle Field. And it just continues to absolute madness that we've seen in college football, a 41-38 win for the Aggies. Not This is the first time a Saban assistant has beaten Nick Saban in his career, the first loss to an unranked opponent for the Crimson Tide since 07. That was Saban's first year as the head coach. And on top of that, man, you just look at all the college football playoff ramifications that we'll get into later in the show. But we got to start with the performance. If you're looking for anyone to give credit to, Zach Calzada had the best showing of his young career, this, you know, of his young career. And this season, this season he's went through some growing pains, but he showed why he gave Haynes King such a run for his money for the starting job for that QB1 role this season. And you can tell that game after game, he's getting a bit more comfortable in that role. And this weekend, it all came to fruition, man. 285 through the air, three touchdowns, one interception. And he had a 90-plus QBR against this impressive Bama defense. And he made some impressive plays down the stretch. That throw to Anaya Smith was on point. He gets rocked. On that touchdown pass, it comes back and leads the Aggies to a game-winning field goal when many people thought that it was definitely headed to overtime. And he started the game hitting 16 of his first 17 passes, looked composed and calm, and he never looked like the moment was too big for him. And you have to say shout-out to Zach Calzada for absolutely putting on a show. And so credit has to go out to the playmakers for Texas A&M. The wide receivers, Anaya Smith, Jalen Watermeyer, especially, those guys went out and made plays. Smith, six catches, two touchdowns for 85 yards, and Watermeyer, 73 yards, and a big touchdown for the Aggies. And even though the running game was not really clicking, uh, Devon Akane at the running back spot found a way to get 96-yard kickoff return on the board to answer Bama's touchdown to close the lead to one one score down to seven. He opened that lead back up in the third quarter, and that really sparked the run that we saw A&M have late in this game. And on the flip side, man, you know, it's impressive. Alabama put up over 500 yards of offense, but you have to – you know, you know, no one's really talked about this, but for me, you have to kind of talk about the lack of playmakers outside the big three. And for that, the lack of ac- execution down the stretch was also pretty concerning. Now, I'm not calling Bama will be fine. I understand that. But this game, there are some things that they have to fix. Everyone just thought they were this unbeatable machine. We saw some weaknesses. You look at the draft early in the, for- the fourth quarter. Bama trailing by four. They push the ball to the three-yard line, and then they proceed to throw the football three straight times and settle for a field goal to bring to bring the game within one, 31-30. Brian Robinson and the O-line have to be trusted to get the ball in the end zone, so the play calling was odd for Bill O'Brien. And on top of that, the execution of the plays they called was not great. And for me, when you have to face some of these elite teams down the stretch, and what I mean down the stretch is if you want to make a college ball playoff run – the Georgias, the Awas, all these other teams, you have to convert first and goal from the three and get into the end zone. You can't be held up like they were. Then you look at the potential game-winning drive with three minutes left in the game. The Crimson Tide failed to produce anything. They, they took – this was the most crucial moment of the game. They had a chance to go down the field, put up points. They were dominating the second half, and they failed to execute. They had one yard total – and the drive lasted 52 seconds, which left a whole lot of time for Calzada and that AM team to move down the field and get into field goal range. Bryce Young, Brian Robinson, and Jamison Williams are the big three I was talking about. They've been the focal point. They were elite this weekend, and they were the main factors keeping this offense and Bama team alive. But where are the other playmakers? You look at running back. Where is the depth that I thought they were going to have? Jace McClellan, all those running backs that they've recruited, where are they at? Since Miami, I have not seen the depth of merge that I thought we were going to see at the running back spot. And really and truly down the stretch, you're going to have to lean on a running back other than Brian Robinson in a key moment. You can't just keep running him into the ground. And at wide receiver, Mechie's had his moments, but outside of Mechie and maybe Latou at tight end, uh, I believe it's Latou and Billingsley at tight end, there, there's not a real dangerous wide receiving threat that you look at to be explosive. Messi's had its explosive moments, but Jamison Williams really the only guy that can get upfield and get you some downfield threat. And so for me, I want to see if some depth and productivity out of the you know bottom half of the wide receiver and running back room can start to emerge for Bama. because I think that's going to be a key if they want to make a national championship run. Now you got to give Texas A&M all the credit in the world. Nobody believed in them, man. They came out executed. We finally saw why this defense was, you know, talked about in the preseason. We finally saw why this team as a whole was talked about as a top ten team. They did it with their backup quarterback Zach Calzada gets the MVP award, and for me, he played outstanding football. And it was just Texas A&M executed at a higher level than Alabama this weekend, and they pull off the upset. And so now moving forward, the Aggies show that they're still a factor in this SEC uh, West race. They go play Missouri next weekend, and the Crimson Tide look to bounce back against Mississippi State, who just beat the Aggies a week ago. So this is going to be an interesting SEC race, and what it does is make that West look extremely, extremely interesting now that you've got these teams at the top that all have one, one loss or so in the SEC. But Alabama drops to number five in the rankings And for me, they're still in the playoff conversation, but there are some things they want to fix because right now I think they're a step behind Georgia overall as a whole team. And this weekend really proved it. But let's move on to another, uh, a big top five matchup. Iowa gets the big win over number four, Penn State, 23 to 20 in Iowa City. And, Listen, they made another huge statement over Penn State this weekend. Kinnick Stadium was electric. They've led to multiple false starts for Penn State, and this game lived up to all the hype and more. And say what you want about Iowa, how they, you know, and how they win, they just keep winning. They don't care if it looks good. They don't care if you know you're impressed with their offense. All they're going to do is go out there and score more points than their opponent and mark one up in the win column. And that's why they find themselves at the number two spot. In a year where so many teams have lost to teams that they weren't supposed to, Iowa just goes out there and beats, and beats everybody. They're going to out-physical you. They're going to control the time of possession, and they're going to force you into turnovers, and then they're going to walk away with the win. You're going to be sitting there wondering, like, dang, man, you know, I feel like they didn't do anything, you know, overly impressive. They just beat us to death. That's what was going to do to you. And, listen, I also want to say I hope Sean Clifford has a speedy recovery because he had Penn State in a position to win this game. But it completely changed when he went down. After Sean Clifford went down, Iowa—they changed their defensive scheme a bit. I'll talk to it. I'll talk about it in a second. And what they did was just shut down this Penn State running attack. And they put they put Robertson on the spot, and he was not able to deliver. But I think there's a valid argument that you could say this game is a different game with Sean Clifford never goes down. But. I was not going to light up the scoreboard, guys. They're not going to give you 500 monster yards. They're not going to put up 40 points in most weeks. They did last week against Maryland, but that was a different story. They they control the time of the uh, time of uh, possession, run the football, and they let Petrus work off the rushing attack, and they let the defense be stingy. They put up 300 yards of offense this weekend. They controlled the they controlled the game with 35 minutes of uh, time of possession. They protected the football for the most part, and when a play was needed. Petrus delivered with a huge touchdown. He gets a lot of criticism. And I saw a lot of articles saying he's still suspect through for 195, two touchdowns, a pick. But when he had to make a play, he made the play. So let's give this kid some credit, man. I guess the number four ranked team in the country with a solid defense, you know, he might not have been spectacular. He might not be a Corral, a Bryce Young, a Sam Howell, anything like that. When the game was on the line, he found a way to make a play. Let's give Petrus all his credit in the world. The rushing attack, 110. They only averaged two and a half yards per carry, but they stuck with the game plan. It might not be clicking, but Iowa knows what they do best. They ran the ball 45 times for 110 yards. Even if you're stopping them, they're going to pound it, pound it, and pound it, and chip away at your brick wall until they can make some plays out of it. And that's what they did. The defense, though, X factor of the game. They held the Nittany Lions to under 300 yards of total offense, less than 3 yards to a less than 4 yard attempts uh 4 yards per attempt on the ground and guys this is this is the craziest stat I saw all all weekend they found a way to force another four interceptions through the air they forced interceptions on 8.9% of the t- of um the passing attempts against this defense the national average is 2.7 and for the year they're up over 4% this defense is legit Appalachian State is the only other team in the country that has replicated the over 4% interception rate. Iowa's defense is legit. Let's give them some credit, man. Four different players got an INT this weekend, but can we give some respect to Riley Moss and Matt Hankins at corner? They have established themselves right up there with Ringo and Kendrick at Georgia as the top uh, cornerback duo in the country in terms of production, INTs, and talent. Hankins and Moss are an absolute problem on the outside of this Iowa with defense. Now, this defense executes, executes at such a high level week in and week out, they're not going to do anything, you know, over the top in terms of scheme. They're going to be, they're going to be disciplined, they're going to be in the right position, and they're going to let you make your mistakes. And when you make a mistake, since they're so disciplined, they're always in position, they find themselves in the perfect position to make a play and get a pick and get a fumble recovery, all that kind of stuff. That's what separates Kirk Ferrett's team from you know some some of the other teams in the country. They might not they have a lot of talent, but they might not have you know, all the stars, but they're gonna execute at a higher level than you and make plays when they're needed. For Penn State, though, no reason to hang your head. They still have a lot to play for. They're still a top eight team in the country. The what if conversation is valid because Taquan Robertson is a solid quarterback, but he didn't offer the same type of passing threat that Clifford did. Seven for 27, 30, uh, seven for 21, 34 yards, two picks. As soon as Clifford went out, Iowa loaded the box to shut down the rushing attack and made Robertson have to beat them over the top and he was just unable to do that. And it played directly into what Awa does so well, which is why they forced turnovers down the stretch and they closed this game out on, on a on a huge comeback, you know win for them. and this is huge. and if Penn State can get healthy, They'll be a factor down the stretch, but right now you've got to give Iowa their props, man. They came in, they won this game the way they, the, the exact way they wanted to win. They they just ran the ball consistently. Petrus made the one play he needed to make, and the defense forced turnovers and made he made the Penn State offense scratch their head and be like, what can we do against this defense? Now, moving forward, Penn State looks to rebound against Illinois and Happy Valley, while Iowa looks to continue their undefeated run against Purdue and Kinnick this upcoming weekend. Both of these teams will be factors for the Big Ten moving forward, but it was a huge statement win for Iowa as they moved to number two in the rankings after Alabama's loss. And for the number one team in the country, man, Georgia dominates another top 20 team, a 34-10 to 10 win over Auburn. They've solidified themselves as the number one team in the country, their third top 20 win of the season, and they're outscoring those ranked opponents 81-13 to 13 in those games. And it just shows how dominant they have been this season. And they make another statement over Auburn this weekend, and it was the same formula. Run the football and let Bennett work off the play action while playing suffocating defense. That's exactly what they did, and it worked worked perfectly for the Bulldogs. And on the other hand, Auburn hung in early, but it was clear they had no answer for the Bulldogs on either side of the ball. The offensive line was overmatched, and the wide receivers and DBs are serious concerns for the Auburn Tigers moving forward. But this Georgia offense did their thing this weekend, it, and once this offense clicks, they're going to be able to move the ball consistently. And I don't real—I don't think people realize what potential they really have when they're fully healthy. When JT, George Pickens, all these guys start coming back into the lineup, they stuck to the rushing game, man. They've rushed it almost fifty times for two hundred yards and two touchdowns. And yes, they might not have been as explosive as they were against Arkansas, but they moved the ball controlled the pace of the game. They won the time of possession significantly. White, Milton, and Cook all had solid days. Bennett was even athletic enough to get a 40, 41 yards on six carries. It was capped off by the huge run late in the game to keep the drive alive. And I w- that's who I want to get the MVP to. The defense did their thing holding Auburn's rushing attack to you know 46 yards, but Stetson Bennett, in my opinion, had his most impressive game of the season. It might not be his high a statistical game, but he did it against a solid defense. He was efficient, playing clean football in a very hostile environment where Georgia in the past has struggled to win games at times. Bennett, 14-21, 231, two touchdowns, averaged over 11 yards in a tent, which shows how he was pushing the ball down the field and had a 95.3 QBR. He stayed calm in the pocket. He made plays with his legs when things broke down. He may not be a JT Daniels. But what he's done is he showed how much hard he has been to be a walk-on, losing his job last year. Now he's coming back to win game after game and put on impressive performances in in must-win games for Georgia. You have to give this kid his credit. I was extremely impressed with Stetson Bennett this weekend. I was extremely impressed with the defense, as always. They controlled the line of scrimmage, and they were consistently in Auburn's backfield. They had Knicks under pressure, and when the opportunity presented itself, they got a big pick early in the game off of the shot tip pass, you, this defense is just going to be consistent. And right now, I think them and Iowa have really separated themselves as the two best defenses in the country, and it's really not even close. Now, the Tigers and Bo Nicks did what they could this weekend, but this wide receiving core is just atrocious in terms of catching the football. And you could tell the offensive line was no match for the Georgia front seven. Now, they couldn't generate any rushing attack in this Auburn offense for wise on being able to run the football like we talked about last week with LSU. It put Nick's in a real position, and then when you look at the wide receiving core struggles, it really put a toll. It really took a toll on this offense. 46 yards rushing, 1.6 average. Rush Longest was a yard rush by Jarquez Hunter and a scramble by Bo Nix. They had 92 sack-adjusted yards, but when you're looking to knock off a team like Georgia – you have to have a much bigger performance from Tate, Bigsby, and Jarquez Hunter at the running back spot. The offensive line is a huge problem for the Tigers. The rushing attack had no push this weekend, and Nix was consistently running for his life on top of the wide receivers, dropping almost 10 passes this weekend, and it just was not a a recipe for success for the Tigers. Now, the Bulldogs have another test against against number 11, Kentucky, this upcoming weekend in Athens. We'll be previewing that game. They'll be dropping tomorrow. And the Tigers look for their first-ranked win of the season against Arkansas and Fayetteville next weekend in a huge SEC West matchup. But the Bulldogs, again, I said last week they were the best team in the country. They further solidified it this this weekend. And right now, I, I honestly think it's the Bulldogs and everybody else in college football right now. They have everything you're looking for. And when they get healthy, i got I got to feel they're going to be a very tough team to beat. Now, last game we got to talk about, man. The Red River shootout, you know, whatever you want to call it, lived up to its name. Oklahoma up, you know, not upsetting, but coming back to beat Texas 55 48 man. And if you were expecting fireworks in Dallas, Dallas, I mean, you you got everything you wanted and more. And this is one of the game of the year candidates that we got after week six because the Longhorns put up an absolute classic game. You know, looking at it, the Longhorns held a 41 23 lead with about a minute left in the third quarter, had a 21 point lead after the first quarter, but a quarterback change capped off by Kennedy Brooks, 33 yard touchdown run with three seconds left, sealed the deal for Oklahoma. This game saw 103 points scored, almost 1,200 yards of total offense, 45 first downs and we saw some just classic Big 12 offensive football this weekend, man. It was absolutely crazy to watch. And I want to start with the QB change. Spencer Radler to Kayla Williams was the move of the year right now for Lincoln-Riley. That move really sparked this. Williams had seven drives in the game and led scoring drives on six of them, and he looked every bit of the QB one that he was tapped to be coming out of high school. I mean – 16 out of 25 men, 2-12 passing, 2 touchdowns, 85 yard, 88 yards rushing for 22 yards per carry and a touchdown, which came on a 66-yard explosion to really bring the Sooners back into this game. Rattler really struggled, man, had two turnovers, only had 100 yards of total offense. And for Williams, he looked cool, calm, composed in the pocket, and he did not look shaken. I mean, you look at the moment and the environment. He was thrown into this weekend, and you would expect many, many young quarterbacks to shrink. He he probably ended any QB battle talk because he stepped up and played big in a very, very big moment for this Oklahoma program, which really could have been, you know, taken away from them if they don't execute down the stretch. Now, also, man, got to give a shout out to Kennedy Brooks, man. He finally showed why many deem him one of the best running backs. In the country, and he, and other even outside of the game winning touchdown run, he was damn near unstoppable this weekend. 217 rushing yards for almost nine yards per carry and two touchdowns. This kid played absolutely spectacular. And you also got to give Casey Thompson some credit, man. 388 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. And then Bajad Robinson did this thing with 137 in the touchdown. It really just came down to, man, the momentum after Kayla Williams got into the game was just, was just too much to overcome. Texas also couldn't control the ball down the stretch, and they were at four for 12 on third down conversions, and they weren't able to honestly put this game away because of that. And so, therefore, they were given a lot of possessions back to Oklahoma late, and Oklahoma was just executing on such a high level. And you all know the saying, you don't prepare for the backup quarterback. It was just a whole different world when Caleb Williams came in there. Just kind of like Tua came in for Jalen Hurts in the national championship game. And we see week after week when you don't prepare for the backup quarterback. This stuck, this kind of stuff happens. You even saw it in Thursday night football when the Seahawks brought in Geno Smith. The Rams had no answer for him because they didn't prepare for him. But this was a huge, huge, huge win for Oklahoma. And it really sets them up to Potentially take take control of the Big Twelve, especially with some of the other struggles other teams have had. Oklahoma State Bedlam is looking like an absolute war could occur at the end of the season. Texas is still in the race. You're looking at Steve Sarkeesian, like man, if if one or two plays go differently, you probably have a you know an outstanding you know signature win on your resume. But you can see the offense is already looking different under Sarkeesian, and Texas fans have no reason to hold their head. It was an absolute amazing game to watch. It was an offensive explosion. You just have to give it up to Kayla Williams and Kennedy Brooks for making plays down the stretch, and that Texas defense just looked a little bit worn out late, and it really cost them the game. But you know, let's get to our final takeaways, man. Let's wrap up this episode. Um, shout out for y'all to tune in. Uh, for tuning in, go ahead and subscribe if you're new. But the final takeaways right now it's Georgia and everybody else. And once they get healthy, I think the Bulldogs are going to be a problem. That's my main takeaway from this weekend is Georgia right now looks hands down like the best team in the country, and they can further prove that against Kentucky, which they're a 24-and-a-half point favorite over Kentucky right now in a top-11 matchup. That should show you how impressive this Georgia team has looked. Cincinnati's playoff hopes, they they smacked Temple 52-3 on Friday night Their college football playoff hopes are at an all-time high, and now winning out should really have them in the college football playoff if they handle their business week in and week out as they find themselves at number three in the country right now, and you're looking at them as a real contender if they can win out on their schedule. And right now it's looking very, very likely that Cincinnati can find themselves in that final four. Building off of that, the college football playoff race is going to be the most chaotic we've ever seen. The chaos has been weekly this year in college football, and it's probably not done. You look at what could happen. I mean, you, the Big Ten is completely unsettled. You could have a one, two loss champion come out of there. You could have a one or two loss champion come out of the SEC. I mean, really, a one loss. What happens if Bama beats Georgia? You have those two teams in the conversation. You got an undefeated Cincinnati. Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan are all in the race as well. You got Oregon still sitting there right there as a, as a potential one-loss Pac-12 champ. You know, the ACC is pretty much out, but Wake Forest is slowly climbing up the ranks. So what if they, they're an undefeated ACC champion? The college football playoff race is going to be absolute chaos, and so I'm excited to see that also LSU gets blown, gets their doors blown off by Kentucky 42-21. The hot seat talk is real in Baton Rouge after the LSU drops a bad one to Kentucky. And Coach O in the in the press conference said he didn't expect Kentucky to run the ball very well. Well, they led the SEC in rushing coming into the game. So, or uh, Chris Rodriguez, the running back. So, odd take there. Also, his comments on the coaching show to a fan who called in and made a, made a bad comment, but, to you know you know, kind of threaten him also wasn't a great look. So LSU is probably gonna be looking for a coach very soon. And my final takeaway: the Big Ten race is absolutely going to be brutal, it's going to impact the college football playoff race the most out of any conference in the country. They have five top 10 teams in a bunch of games that are going to be huge college game day type matchups that are, and it's going to come down to arguably the last week of the season to see who comes out of that Big Ten. They are absolutely loaded. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, this conference is absolutely loaded. So the Big Ten is probably going to be the conference to watch moving forward as they have the most impact on who makes the final four teams in the college football playoff. But, guys, I appreciate you all tuning in. Sorry for this being a little bit late due to some travel stuff. Make sure to su- make sure to subscribe. Comment your takeaways below, and make sure to subscribe so you could tune in tomorrow as we start dropping our week seven previews. Man, best and you know most in depth college football content on YouTube right now. So I appreciate y'all's support. Y'all have a great Monday, but for right now, the Blue Bloods are.